Scripture lesson for this morning comes to us from the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. Listen now for God's Word to you. This is Paul speaking, and he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the sort of creation, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we wrap up our November sermon series about what is God like this morning with one more trip into outer space, into the vast expanse of the cosmos. Um, just like I said last week, the cosmos has kind of been my hyperfixation lately, the thing that I've been wondering about, what is God like? And the cosmos has a lot to teach us about what God is like. Um, there's lots of new and interesting discoveries that are being made all the time. Uh, so when I'm in bed late at night trying to relax and unwind for the nights, I will often be scrolling through TikTok, and uh, I come across these videos of all these new things that scientists have discovered. Not sure how you like to unwind for the night, uh, but exploring the depths of the universe is how I like to unwind for the night, I guess. So interesting discoveries have been made. So back in 2009, astronomers were exploring a part of the Milky Way galaxy, and they found there a, a chemical compound called ethyl formate in abundant supply. And there's a couple of interesting properties to this chemical. One is that it, uh, is the, it's what gives raspberries their taste, and it smells like rum. So, so theoretically, you could go out to that part of the Milky Way galaxy, taste, take off your space helmet, and you could smell and taste raspberry rum. Also, near that part of the galaxy where they were exploring, they found a bunch of ethanol, the sort that we use to make alcoholic beverages, and they found so much of it there that there's enough to supply every person on earth with a pint of beer, uh, or excuse me, 300,000 pints of beer for a billion years. So for those of you beer lovers, you can head out to that part of the galaxy and you can take me uh, with you. We also find all sorts of interesting planets out there in the cosmos, like there's one that's 64 and a half light years away, where it rains molten glass sideways at 5,400 miles an hour. I never want to hear anyone complain about the Michigan weather ever again. It's supposed to snow later this afternoon, but at least it's not molten glass, right? Uh, there's another planet that's maybe a little closer, 41 light years away, and it has a temperature of 1,700 degrees, an incredible amount of atmospheric pressure, and its chemical compound is mostly carbon. And so what scientists believe is that with that intense heat and atmospheric pressure, pressure and chemical makeup, that the planet is made entirely of diamonds. 
in the first service, a bunch of women went, ooh, <laughs> diamonds in abundant supply, all sorts of interesting things out there. And uh, we also know that the earth goes around the sun every 365 and one quarter days. We call it a year, one of the big ways that we have to measure time. But there's also something called a galactic year or a cosmic year. And this is how long it takes our sun and our solar system to rotate around the center of the galaxy. And so that happens roughly every 230 to 250 million years. That's how long it takes for our solar system to rotate around the center of the Milky Way galaxy. So in the 4 billion years that our solar system has been around, our sun has been around, it's taken roughly 18 trips around the center of the galaxy. And so we imagine then, if this is how our solar system is moving, is rotating around the, the, the center of the galaxy, we typically imagine this when we think of the solar system, right? Typical thing you find in every classroom around the country. But if we're rotating around the center of the galaxy, then what it actually looks like is this. We're flying through space, through the cosmos. Uh, I think this is amazing and mesmerizing. Uh, like I said last week, my goal is not to fill you with existential dread, but maybe that's unavoidable with the idea that we're on a rock hurtling through space. Thank you, choir. <laughs> but by far the most interesting thing to me is the fact that even with all of our advances in telescopes and our ability to see further and further into space, that there are stars that we will never be able to see directly because the cosmos is expanding, and so the light, even as it's moving towards us, it will never quite reach our eyes. And so we only know these stars are there by indirect observation. Most of us probably know that the universe is expanding. Who's heard that before? Most of us have heard that the universe, you can answer to anyone in the congregation besides, I'm just gonna turn around and preach to the choir this morning. Hey. <laughs> We know that the universe is expanding, then um, the idea was is that what, it used to, what used to be believed was that the forces of gravity would slow everything down. But what's actually happened is that the speed of universal expansion has only increased, gotten faster. Things are being driven further and further apart at a quicker rate. So the question is, why? Why is this happening? Well, the answer is that there are two things that work in the cosmos uh, that are ominously named dark energy and dark matter. And I know that sounds super creepy and spooky, like it's something that Harry Potter would learn how to fight in his defense against the dark arts class at Hogwarts. But dark energy and dark matter, that term dark is just sort of a, a placeholder there because we don't know what dark energy and dark matter are. We have never observed them directly. So think of that term more as mysterious. Think of it as mysterious matter, mysterious energy, these two things that are at work in the universe. I do think astronomers could use a better marketing team for the naming of things so it doesn't sound like we're surrounded by this ominous force at all times. But they believe that it's, it, comp it comprises 95% of the known universe, these two forces, dark energy and dark matter. And we've never seen them, we don't know what they are, but we believe that they're there, the hypothesis is that they're there because we've seen the effects. 
So if the universe is expanding and that rate of expansion is only increasing, there must be something that is driving that. So that's the belief that there's something called dark energy that is moving the universe further and further apart. That 70% of the known universe is this mysterious energy pushing things apart. And then at the very other end of the spectrum, we have what's known as dark matter, which really holds everything together. Uh, So back in the 1930s, the astronomer Fritz Zwicky, which I think is very fun to say, Fritz Zwicky, y'all want to say it, don't you? (laughs) Say it. There you go. Back in the 1930s, Fritz Zwicky was observing that universe or that that galaxies like to, to group themselves together into like sort of like neighborhoods, so to speak. So the, the Milky Way galaxy in which we live is part of a bunch of other galaxies called the local group. Again, what a creative name. Um, the local group of galaxies, at least, uh, there's at least 80 that are known, possibly more. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so what Zwicky observed was that these galaxies group themselves together, but they should be drifting apart. There's not enough gravitational pull between all of these galaxies to keep them together. And so what he says is that there must be some form of matter that is holding them together. This form of matter that we have never seen, we don't know what it is, gives off no x-rays, gives off no light of its own, and yet we believe that it's there because it's holding everything together. Dark energy and dark matter, these two forces that make up 95% of the universe, we know that they're there because of the ways that they're expanding, luring, and pulling the objects around us. And so I think just like there's dark matter and dark energy, we can look at our own human lives and we can say that there is something in our lives that is luring and pulling and calling to us that leads us to greater love and justice and inclusivity. But the question is, is what is it that's calling to us and insisting upon us? To borrow a phrase from the philosopher-theologian John Caputo, who I owe a great debt to for this entire sermon, really. I didn't steal it. He just influenced my thought. Thank you. John Caputo, who says, there's something that's insisting upon us, but what is it that's insisting upon us? Is it just simply the the neurons firing in our brains? Is it just the, the natural course of human evolution? When I was 14 years old and sitting in an auditorium and some emotional preacher with the music of the, the Christian, or contemporary Christian music playing those seductive sounds of the G chord. And he said, does anyone want to go into ministry? And I said, I do. Was it just the G chords? Is it our digestive process? Is it like when, when Ebenezer Scrooge, Scrooge sees Jacob Marley and he says, he says, you might just be a bit of undigested beef a piece of potato, a blot of mustard. There's something more gravy than ghost about you. Is that what's insisting upon us? Is it the blueberry Pop-Tarts from this morning? The digestive process? Or could it be, as one blogger so beautifully writes in response to this scene with Jacob Marley and Ebenezer Scrooge, she says, an undigested bit of beef, a piece of moldy cheese, a sour stomach due to indigestion. Indigestion, that's it. Or maybe a migraine, or a a change in weather, or the dropping barometric pressure, perhaps a change in season. Any explanation other than the truth. The truth of this nagging encounter. The encounter that is meant to turn you around, bring you to your knees, 
opening your eyes, but more importantly, turning your hearts. Oh, say what we will about the character of the man Dickens. One thing is certain, his story spoke deeply to the condition of the heart of man. How long will we try to rationalize our encounters, our moments when the Spirit meets us mid-journey as something other than indigestion or a coincidence or something other than the divine? Maybe what calls to us and insists upon us is not indigestion or barometric pressure or coincidence. Maybe what calls and insists upon us is God. That maybe God is like the dark matter and the dark energy of the universe, something that we have never seen, never observed directly, but we've seen the effects. That we don't know what God exactly is like. We, none of us has seen God directly, but we have seen the ways that God has acted in our lives. We have seen the ways we have been moved to greater love and justice and wholeness, the ways that we have become more whole human beings. That perhaps God is like the dark matter and the dark energy of the universe. And let me be clear about something. I'm not saying that, that God is dark matter and dark energy. Let me be clear about that. But I'm saying that God is like dark matter and dark energy, moving us, expanding us by our, beyond ourselves, beyond our comfort zones. Maybe as you look at your own life, you feel a little bit like Fritz Zwicky looking at the, the, the galaxies of the universe that gathered in clusters, and you wonder, how is it that I ended up in this position in my life? How is it that I am so different than I was 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago? Maybe it's because God was there insisting upon you, luring you. I get asked a lot, I've shared a lot about my, my own faith journey, and people ask me a lot, how is it that you've changed so much of your own thought process over the years? The only answer I have is that there was someone calling and insisting upon me. God was calling and insisting upon me. How is it that that people who are unaffected by poverty and injustice commit themselves to getting rid of them, to healing the world around them. It's because God is insisting, luring, and calling to them, acting upon them. How is it that people find the strength to forgive, to, to become their whole and true selves, despite all the wounds and the injuries that they have endured? God is calling and insisting and acting upon them. What is God like? Perhaps God is that own churning, that own feeling within your own self, your own heart, your own consciousness. Perhaps God is that, that moment when you're watching injustice play out on the TV screen and you wonder who's going to do something about it, and you realize that that someone is you. What is God like? Perhaps God is that, that feeling of compassion that wells up within you when you see someone struggling or hurting. Perhaps God is that desire that's within yourself to create music and art and beauty. God is all of these things. God is that which calls to us. And we might know God by a lot of different names. We might call God justice or, or wholeness or strength or resolve or beauty or art, but all of it is God. And maybe if that's true, maybe there really is no such thing as atheism because Whatever we call that which acts upon us, it's just another name for God, insisting upon us, calling to us, luring us. And if God is the call, then a call needs a response. 
that perhaps we are the ones who help fill in that definition, that vision of what God is like. That the whole creation, Paul says, is groaning, waiting for the appearance of the children of God. Perhaps that groaning is that call, waiting for a response within ourselves. That God seems to me throughout the entire Bible is not only looking for human partners, but needs human partners. That we become the picture of what God is like. So what is God like? God, perhaps, is like when I was going to get my hair cut a couple of weeks ago and I had to wait a little longer than normal because my barber was busy cutting the hair of a man experiencing homelessness for free. And she said, sorry for the wait, but everyone deserves to feel like a whole human being. Maybe that was a picture of what God is like. Or maybe God is like a community of people gathered together on a Saturday for lunch to learn about what black farmers are doing in Detroit or writing letters to legislators. Maybe what God is like is a, a, a stewardship team who has to keep go buying more coats for the welcome in because you all just keep buying them up. Maybe what God looks like is a, a choir singing an anthem or beauty or artwork or whatever churns and stirs in your own hearts. If you want to know what God is like, you don't have to go looking very far. There's something that calls to us. And I don't think it's the G chords of contemporary Christian music or the blueberry Pop-Tarts I had for breakfast or even the, the snow that's coming in later this afternoon. What insists and calls upon us is God. If you want to know what God is like, don't look any further than what churns and stirs within your own hearts. And don't look any further than the ways that you and I respond. Amen.